The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today's scripture reading is going to be from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. You can find this on page 873 in your pew Bibles. So Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. If you do not have a Bible today and you would like one, Feel free to take one in front of you as a free gift. So Luke 14, 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, It is lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. <clears throat> and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at a table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to them, A man once gave a great banquet. He's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a man once gave a great banquet, invited many, and at that time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, Come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought the five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded me has been done, and still there is no room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. I need help. And... Uh... So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you give help. Um, 
We thank you that you speak. We thank you for the beauty of your word. Lord, we just ask together that your Holy Spirit would fill us each richly right now. Lord, you know everybody here. Lord, I'm so glad for it, that every person here is here. Uh, and you know uniquely where they're at with you, their mind, their heart, their circumstances. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word together, that, that you would do something wonderful for each person. You'd reveal yourself to them. You'd speak to them in exactly the way that they need. And Lord, I pray you'd help me, help me to teach this passage carefully, faithfully, clearly, Lord, so that we could all be, um, be edified, be changed, be helped, be confronted even by what you have to say. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a uh, little story to tell you. Once in, uh, in high school, can anybody remember that far away, you know? I, uh, I broke some rules, and I got caught, and um, I had done something I knew I shouldn't do, and then I had lied about it to cover it up, and uh, I remember it being in the living room, I can remember the room, and my mom started asking me questions, and uh, I lied, and she took me apart like a surgeon. I remember even, I remember being a little impressed with her, even as I was being exposed, you know? I was like, wow. And at some point, you know, there it was. The evidence had just landed on the table to the point where we all could just stand there and look at it and go, hmm, there it is. It could not be denied. And here was the final conclusion. I had been a total hypocrite. I'd said one thing, and I'd done another and I got exposed. Hypocrisy caught red-handed. Anybody else ever been there before? Okay. Hypocrisy caught red-handed. Uh, is it just for high schoolers? No. You guys, today we're going to see this luncheon where everybody who invites Jesus gets their hypocrisy caught red-handed. That's what this is about. Uh, we all know, right, it's kind of an infamous thing that the major problem with the church at large is what? Hypocrisy, right? Jesus looks bad when those who claim to know him are bad. But it raises the question on what we're supposed to do with a text like this today, because we're going to see the Pharisees get exposed for their hypocrisy. And it's really fun to be on a team, you know, give each other high fives and be like, man, those guys were big fat hypocrites. It's kind of a fun game to find the hypocrisy of the church at large, isn't it? Kind of a fun game to tell the juicy stories. It's kind of a, do I, I don't know if I can say this, it's kind of a fun thing to be hurt by the church as an excuse for no longer, no longer serving Christ. It's easy, isn't it easy to see others' hypocrisy? I'm good at it. I'm good at it. But here's the thing. How much of the church-at-large hypocrisy are you responsible for? How much do you influence it? Very little. Okay. We have a higher responsibility, don't we, for local community hypocrisy. We have influence there. We have, we have a responsibility for it. But ultimately, whose, response, whose hypocrisy or tendency towards hypocrisy are you most responsible for? It's yours, right? 
And whose hypocrisy is hardest for you to see? It's yours. It's mine. Okay? So what do we do with this text? You know, we will see the Pharisees' hypocrisy. That's part of what Luke is doing. But what, what a waste it would be, right, to just have a little party on, a, on how hypocritical other people are. What a waste, right? If we did that, what would end up happening to us? We'd be the hypocrites. And so here's what I'd encourage you to do. This is what I hope will happen in me, too, as we look at this text. Let Jesus catch you red-handed. Let him catch you red-handed. Let, it, let, let him get all the info out on the table so that you look, on it, look at it and go, hmm, yep. Because Jesus doesn't just expose these guys' hypocrisy, he invites them to healing. He invites them to healing. Um, he invites them to, to change, to, to redemption. And, and for those of you who you remember times of hypocrisy, don't you remember? It's kind of a horrible, horrible place internally. Remember guilt in there? Do you remember a sense of like uh, unworthiness in there, of distance in there, even as you're trying to cover it up? Maybe some of you are there right now. You know, you're, you, 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 know you kind of believe in God and you, and you sort of, you know, yeah, but you're really not his. You're not obeying him in certain ways. And you feel the disconnect. I, I know because I've been there, right? He wants to draw us in. So let's walk through this text together. As, as you heard it read, you probably saw it was one big event. So verse 1, one Sabbath, he went to dine at the, at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So he's, he got invited over for lunch after church, okay? Verse 7, he told a parable to who? Those who were invited. Verse 12, he said also to the man who'd invited him. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, do you see how the whole thing is one big lunch party? Okay, just remind you, like, be careful if you have Jesus over for lunch. And we're going to see that the, the, the whole point of this lunch is uh, ex an exposure of hypocrisy. The lunch is a setup. Okay, these guys under... These Pharisees, under the guise of hospitality, serving Jesus, being kind to him, offering lunch, they're actually looking for reasons to reject him. They don't think they need salvation from him. They don't want him to be authority over them, so they're looking for reasons to reject him. So it's a, it's a whole, the whole setting is hypocritical, and Jesus is going to expose them. I love how he sticks with them. He could have bailed on them. Right at first, he could have been like, I see what you're doing, I'm out. But he didn't. He stuck with him, uh, just like he sticks with us. And he gives him the invitation. So here's, here's the five steps for today. I want to do a little bit of background and for information on the Pharisees, Jesus, and hospitality. It, it's important for the text, background information. Number two, then we're going to get caught red-handed, okay? So get ready just to pour it out on the table before the Lord. Get caught red-handed. Number three, Jesus is going to start giving us the antidote or the healing for hypocrisy. He's going to say, you need humility. The number, number three, you need humility. Number four, he's going to say, you need to give grace. And then five, we're going to see the invitation. So background information, caught red-handed, the need for humility, the need to give grace, and finally, see the invitation. So here we go. First, background info. What's the context here? Hospitality. Who's having who over for lunch? 
The Pharisees are having Jesus over. In fact, it wasn't just a normal Pharisee. Do you remember who it was? A ruler of the Pharisees. So what's going on? Well, let's remember. What do we know about Pharisees? If you ever see the Jesus movie, when they walk into the scene, that's when the angry music plays. So you know they're bad. And their faces are always like, you know, you know they're bad. But if you actually live next to them, um, they'd be good. They'd be the good people. They, they, they never miss a church service. They have memorized the Bible. They have even made lists of rules to keep so that they don't break the rules in the Bible. In fact, their whole goal is the renewal in, uh, of the nation um, by restoring purity. So if we could finally get the nation to live like they should live, God would bless us and come save us from slavery to Rome. Okay? They're, they're conservative. They're religious. Um, but they also have these cultural values that uh, commentators say ancient culture as a whole would have had. So one is hierarchy. Have you heard of that word before? Hierarchy. It's kind of hard for us to grasp. Our culture is different in this way, I think, uh, though we may relate a little. Here's the basic idea. In any social group or social setting, there's really big-time influential people at the top. And everybody knows who they are and shows them deference. They have the social clout, and the goal of everyone else is to kind of climb the social ladder to get up in there, get next to it as, as much as you can. It's to gain that social power for yourself. So in, you know, in some places it would be political power, but isn't there also like uh, status in other ways, like religious power? And so part of the, part of the Pharisees keeping all the rules was this uh, kind of club of watching one another and how careful they could be at being religious and then validating one another as the hope for the future. We're the people with the truth. We're the people who live it right. This hierarchy idea. So to get up into the in crowd, into the group with the power, you've got to climb ladders. And guess what's one way they did that? Hospitality. Did you see the verse in, in uh, verse 8? Do you see what Jesus said there? We almost don't even get it. Uh, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. It's hard to relate. Imagine if you came to church today and we had like, uh, I don't know, how would we do it? Numbers on the chairs or something with plaques on them. And uh, maybe if you, you know, 15 weeks without missing service. You, know, you, can, you can move up. Of course, in our Western context, the best seats would have to be in the back, right? Because nobody wants to sit in front. Don't make me sit in front, right? So the, the people who just, you didn't read your Bible enough, or what do we want to do, right? You, you have to sit up front. Can you, but can you imagine, this is not a joke. At these meetings, there were actually, there's a, actually a pattern for places of honor. And, and it wasn't embarrassing to anyone. It was normative. And you would want to have the seat closest to the top so that everyone could see, oh, yeah, you're the one. You've made it. You're big time, hierarchical. It's, actu it's actually written into their, their daily practices. They also were into reciprocity, and this was the ancient Roman world as a whole. Reciprocity. So in climbing the ladder of status, 
you would kind of do favors for one another, okay? So if I do something nice for you, it wasn't just because I'm nice, okay? What do you need to do? Now you owe me, okay? And you've got to do something nice for me. And guess what they use as a tool for this? Hospitality. So we'll have dinners of status where we network and we sit in the seats. And then if I invite you, what do you owe me? The next dinner of status, I deserve a seat there because you owe me reciprocity, okay? So sometimes the powerful would have somebody a little less powerful over, but they can use them for something they need. And if you're less powerful, you'd want to go to the powerful guy's meal because you can climb a rung on the ladder. On the flip side, if you were so low, you'd never be invited to any of these things anyway. And on the off chance that you were invited to some big guy's party, networking place, you wouldn't go because you know you could never reciprocate. You could never offer back what you now owe, so you just stay away. Hierarchy, reciprocity. It's hard for us to get it really in the same way, but it was huge official cultural norm at that time. But even though we don't have seats of honor, and aren't you glad? Don't you still have the haunting thing where you want to get in with the in crowd? Was that just for high school? No, the in crowd just changes. It just changes. You want to be the one who is successful in your career. You want to be the one who has that thriving relationship. You want to be the one with the, the kids just right. Or you want to be the one who celebrates the freedom. But you want to be the one who has what and is recognized by other people who value that as you've got it. You want in. And what will we do to get it? Oh, what will we do? All sorts of awful things. So we share that in common. Now there's Jesus in hospitality. So you've got these guys using hospitality for hierarchy, reciprocity. Then there's Jesus in hospitality because Jesus talks about hospitality all the time. You remember from last week when Jesus was talking about salvation, he compares heaven to God throwing a party and a feast. So back in Luke 13, 29, this is what Jesus said. People will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at what? Table in the kingdom of God. It's a big feast. And this is an echo of Isaiah and the prophets. Let's remember it just for a second. Can you try to imagine what this would be like as we look at this? Isaiah 26, 6. On this mountain, the who? The Lord of hosts, God himself, will make for who? All peoples. What's he going to make? A feast. You think that's going to be good? A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Verse 7, there's more than that. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. So he's healing them, right? Saving them from brokenness, from enmity with him, bringing them near. Verse 8, he will swallow up what? Death, how long? Forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You want to go? Do you want to go? Do you want to be there at that feast? Man, 
It's going to be so awesome. It'd be so awful to miss it. That's what Jesus has in mind with hospitality. So do you see this kind of disconnect over the same thing with hospitality? Pharisees are using it for selfishness. And Jesus says the heart of it is salvation. It's fellowship. It's welcome. Keep all that in your pocket, okay? Because all that's going to matter as we walk through this text. Now let's watch some hypocrisy get exposed. So you can enjoy this, but don't enjoy it too much. You know what I'm saying? Enjoy it, but don't enjoy it too much. So verse 1. One Sabbath, when he, that Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were what? What are they doing? Watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man who had dropsy. Here we go. They have Jesus over for lunch after church. Now, Jesus was an itinerant teacher. He's actually homeless, so it looks like they're doing him a favor, right? Hey, good. Should you, let's have more people over for lunch after church, okay? It's a great thing to do. But in this case, what are they after? Did you see what Luke says about them? What were they doing? Verse 1, they were watching him carefully. Have you ever had people watch you like that? Waiting for you to slip up? just looking for something that they can condemn, that they can revile. They're watching him carefully. And verse 2, who else is there? A man with dropsy. So it's very strange. It's very strange. Here's why it's strange. Number one, remember who's having him over? The ruler of the Pharisees. So these, again, are the religious leaders. They're all about purity. They're all about obedience. As we've been going through Luke, what are they especially excited about? What day of the week is it? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. So remember, they had made rules upon rules and traditions upon traditions about how you handle the Sabbath. Um, highly legalistic, full of rules. And Jesus, how has he treated their rules? He's totally ignored, reviled, demeaned, not paid attention to any of them. Okay? And so Jesus, is, he's always causing this tension with them because they have this system for gaining status and hierarchy and being somebody, right? They watch each other keep the rules. And then Jesus walks in, this notable teacher. The whole world seems to be coming after them. And, and what respect does he give to their whole system for their identity? None. So he causes this horrible tension. They either keep their system by which they value and validate themselves and deny Jesus or they come to Jesus, and what do they do with their system? They deny their system. And so it's this tension, and they, they can't handle it. They're not going to deny their system of religious validation. And so instead, they're going to deny Jesus. And they set all this up for this purpose. Because it's shocking that you would have a party at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. And who else was there? A man with... Dropsy. So if you're into hierarchy and reciprocity, that means, okay, we're trying to climb to the top of the ladder and we're doing each other favors. That means you only hang out with people of your own general status. Because if you invite somebody that's really low to your hierarchy party, what happens? You lose some of the status you're trying to gain. You, you lose it. You, you get demoted. 
And back in that time, we've seen this through Luke, if you have a disease or you're poor or you're weak or you're an outsider, that is a symbol usually of how they see you as being righteous or not. So that this man has dropsy. I didn't know what that was. It's um, generalized edema. What is that? The nurses know. That's a third of our congregation. For the rest of us, it's bodily swelling due to an excess of fluid. And it usually indicates a serious organ problem. So he's very sick. And there's an, there's a, there's an old parable. No, nobody's drier than a man with dropsy. Because he drinks and he drinks and he drinks. But it just swells him up. And it doesn't do him any good. And he's, he's probably on the way to death. So here's this person swollen with liquid. Again, poor, broken, outcast, nothing. And he's in the house of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus has this horrible tendency. Have you noticed what he tends to do on the Sabbath in front of Pharisees when there's sick people there? He heals them. And so what are they watching for? Because now the ruler of the Pharisees needs to see it with his own eyes. Is he really going to break this rule on my Sabbath? Is he really going to do this work of healing somebody on the Sabbath? Then we'll know he's a fraud. Then we'll know he's out because he doesn't keep our system. So you know it's a setup. I I love the way Luke works the language. Look at verse 2. Behold, there was a man with dropsy. And then look at the beginning of verse 3. What, is, what does it say? And Jesus, what? What's the next word? Responded. Responded? Responded to what? Have the Pharisees said anything yet? No. Has the man with dropsy said anything yet? No. What's Jesus responding to? The setup. I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing. You're watching me to see if I'm going to play by your rules. Let me give you the clean, direct, immediate answer. What is Jesus? This is another one. Don't you wish you could go back in time and be a fly on the wall? What does Jesus do immediately? He responds to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What does he give them first? A question. A question. Why does Jesus give us questions that are hard for us to answer? What's he doing with your crusty heart? Open it up. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And now they're stuck. Their hypocrisy is getting exposed. Because is it against God's law to love your neighbor and serve them on the Sabbath? No. Okay. Is it against God's, is is Jesus breaking God's law by healing someone on the Sabbath? No, and they know that. It's against their traditions. It's not against God's law. But they don't answer. How come they won't answer? Because if they say, no, it's not against the law, then what just happened to their whole system? Because what are they watching to see if he'll do? Break their traditions. If they say no, they're wrong because it's, it is actually lawful according to Scripture. If they say, uh, yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then, guess because uh, there's a bunch of Pharisees watching each other too. 
And what if they say, you know what, it is actually okay if you heal on the Sabbath. Then all the other Pharisees in the Pharisee club go. Right? And what happened to his status as a religious leader? He just lost it. So this tension, do I stay faithful to God's actual word? Or do I stay faithful to my religious crowd? And so what do they answer? This is what, this is what practicing hypocrites do. What do they answer? Nothing. I'm not going to get exposed. I'm just not going to say anything. They won't answer. That's caught red-handed right there. Hypocrisy caught red-handed. You know, if you're a religious leader and you won't answer questions simple as this, you're exposed. They claim to love the law. How much do they love God's law? Just got exposed. Do they love his law? No, they love theirs. They claim to love his law. What does the law tell you to do with your neighbor? Love your neighbor. Do they love their neighbor? They just got exposed. What are they doing with this man who is sick? They're using him as a prop. Is that love for your neighbor? No, they just got exposed. They say they love God. Right? They say they love God. And who's sitting right next to him? The son of God. So they're denying their neighbor, abusing the law, all with the excuse to deny the Son of God, even as they claim to love God, love His law. They've been exposed. You ever done anything like this before? Do you know you can use your religion to rebel? You can use your sense of being a good person to rebel against God. That's what they're doing, isn't it? That's what they're doing. Hey, I went to church, but Jesus, you don't own me. I know some of the Bible, but Jesus, you don't own me. I'm going to keep my own standard. Yeah, you're, you're not a Pharisee. Nobody here is a Pharisee like they were Pharisees. But we all write up our own standards in our hypocrisy for what's good enough. And then if we do that, what's good enough? Then we say to God, well, God, you owe me. And then we say to God, at least I have an excuse for why I'm not obeying you in these other aspects. Because I'm good enough over here. And, and let me just tell you, guess what God wants to do wherever that is in this room, including right here in me? He wants to expose that. Guess, guess what that is? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. So then we, we love what Jesus does next. What does he do right away? Ask them the question they can't answer. He, uh, he brings the man with dropsy to himself. He took him, and what does he do? Heals him. I don't know what it's like nonverbally for Jesus. He's looking at the man, he, he, he brings him to himself, and maybe, you know, he looks at the Pharisees, they're all watching him to see what he do. They won't even answer his question, and he just, and what happens to this man with dropsy? What would it have been like, right? Just, you know, because Jesus healed, he wasn't a charlatan. When he healed, he healed all the way. It was instantaneous, it was amazing, it was total healing. The man is just healed, and you'd just be, you'd be shock and awe, wouldn't it? It'd be shock and awe, it'd be amazing to see him healed, and then Jesus sends him away. Why does he send him away? Why doesn't he keep him there for lunch? You don't need to be these guys' prop anymore. You don't need to be their prop anymore. And what does that healing show them? What does it show them? 
Here's people who won't look to Jesus for salvation and won't humble themselves before him as their Lord. And he shows them right there. What is this called if you heal someone instantly from a horrible medical condition? This is a miracle. And what does it show about who Jesus is? He is the Lord and Savior. Do they need more evidence? Is this an issue of evidence? It's not an issue of evidence. Why is that important for us today? How many times do we excuse not following Christ for evidence when really all the evidence is there? The idea is we don't really think we need to be saved or we don't want him to be our king. That's what's happening here. He asked him another question, verses 5 and 6. Which of you having a son or an ox has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day won't immediately pull him out? And again, what's their response in verse 6? They don't say anything. If your boy fell into a well on the Sabbath, would you pull him out? What's the obvious answer? Yeah. Can I save my boy right here on the Sabbath? If your cow fell in a hole on the Sabbath, you're going to pull him out? Yeah. Can I save my guy right here on the Sabbath? What's the obvious answer? Yes. What's he showing them about themselves? You're hypocrites. You know what they should have done right here? The guy whose house it was should have just gone on his knees and been like, have mercy on me. I'm a fake, man. I'm a fraud. Just save me. You know what Jesus would have done? All right. Come on, brother. Right? Let that be us. And here's where they don't respond. What, what could Jesus have done here, right? Hypocrites using people. How many of you would have been like, I'm out. I'm done with you guys. I'm sick of this. What is Jesus going to do the rest of our section today? Plead with them. Plead with them. Offer them another chance. Ask them to think about it more deeply. Ask them to look into their hearts, offering, hey, I'll, I'll heal you from your hypocrisy. So if you find hypocrisy in yourself, here's Jesus' invitation for healing. Verse 7. He says you need to find humility. He tells a parable of those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. That would just be something to watch, wouldn't it? What happens if you argue about, you know, what seat you should sit in? Arm wrestling, like Bible trivia competition. Will I, who tithes more, you know, with receipts? I don't know how you play this game. Please, let's never play it here. But Jesus gives a lesson. Hey, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't just go sit in the place of honor what happens if you sit in the place of, you, you sit too high, too big for your britches, you know? The master of the party goes, hey, bro, uh, this is my friend Steve, and you're in his seat. Move down. And man, in a, in a culture of hierarchy, how does that feel to get publicly moved down the ladder? Jesus even used the word, you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. It will shame you. It will embarrass you. So when you're invited, where should you start, Jesus says? Start at the lowest, man. Just go ahead and say, I'm the lowest. And then maybe, just maybe, who might come? Who's the important guy in the verse 10? The host might come and say, hey, friend, move up. And then you'll be honored. And then Jesus' conclusion, verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you getting a point? It's real simple. It's not super high theology. Everybody who what? Verse 11. 
You exalt yourself, what's going to happen to you? You'll be humbled. You'll be shamed. You'll be exposed. But if you humble yourself, Jesus says, what will happen? You'll be exalted. And in what way? The master of the house, the host, will show you mercy. Now, was Jesus just giving like, uh, hey, guys, let me, let me really tell you how to move up the social ladder. Start low, and then they'll move you up. Is he just playing their game with them, you know? Like, let me how to show you how to get status. Just start low, but it's all just a game. You know you deserve the higher seat. Start low, and then the guy will move you up, and everybody will watch how the guy moved you up. Is that what Jesus is doing? It can't be. It can't be. Let me show you why it certainly isn't. Did you see what he said in verse 8? When you are invited by someone to a what? It's important. A wedding feast. Is Jesus at a wedding feast right now at this Pharisee's house? No. Look up how Jesus uses wedding feast in Luke and in the other Gospels. It is a sign of that heavenly feast. He's talking about the kingdom. Jesus is trading places in this parable. In the beginning, he's the visitor they're trying to set up. And now as he teaches, he's the host. He's the host. And he's talking about his own kingdom, as we're going to say. And imagine how this lands. So they're playing this status game to try to move up the ladder. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't bring that mess to my kingdom. Don't bring that mess to my kingdom. They would say, these Pharisees would say, God is pleased with us because we keep these rules and we're better than those other people. And Jesus says, don't bring that mess to my kingdom. And what will happen to you if you bring that mess to his kingdom? You will be exposed and shamed, Jesus says. You'll be shamed. How should you come to his kingdom? Go to the lowest place and rely on one thing. The mercy of the host. The mercy of the host. He will exalt you. What a warning and what an invitation. And it is, it is both things to all of us. It's both things to all of us. So have you ever taken pride in who you are or your accomplishments? Come on now, right? And I've even had, occasionally I'll have a conversation with somebody who's been a Christian a long time, and I'll say, if you, if you went to the judgment seat like tomorrow, what would you rely upon to get you into the feast? And I've heard it way too many times. I went to church Or if people who aren't Christians, hey, are you going to make it to heaven? Most people believe in heaven. Yeah. Why? What do people say? Come on, what have some of you said? I'm a good person. Do you see what Jesus is saying to good personism right here? Because if you say I'm a good person, then you're looking at somebody out there and saying, I'm not as bad as they are, which means in the seats of the feast, you went to a place of honor and tried to sit in that place. 
You're good, your heart is saying. God, our hearts are even saying, you owe me the seat because I've done these good practices. You owe me the seat. And Jesus says, you will be exposed and shamed. Don't come to the kingdom like that. But now there's the invitation. Because we can get so low, too, and so broken, right? And we can look at our sin and our mess and our past and our failures and how we've never done it good enough and how we have nothing to offer. And we can think, there's no seat for me. And Jesus says, you're the perfect candidate. Come to me just like that. Here's, here's your ticket to get in. What do you need to bring to the kingdom? You better have this ticket. Here's what it's called. Nothing. This ticket will get you in. If your ticket says, I have nothing to offer you, have mercy on me. The host will say, I have just a seat for you. Come on into my table. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. The first antidote to hypocrisy is humility before God. Humility before God. When you see that you don't deserve a seat at the table and you rest only on his mercy, it humbles you. It humbles you. And some of that hypocrisy starts to come undone. I'm not what I said I was. You know, God will do this to some of his favorite leaders. Can you remember uh, any apostles that had to eat a big old humble pie? Peter, right? Jesus says, hey, they're going to come for me. I'm going to go to the cross, and uh, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're all going to leave. Peter's like, well, they might leave. I'm in it to win it, Lord. I'll die for you. I'm Peter. I'm bold. I'm brash. I catch fish. Okay? I have a seat at the table. Peter, man, oh, bro, that night. That night, in the presence of a 14-year-old servant girl, you will deny me three times. And when that crow sang, what happened to Peter's persona? He went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because I had this whole identity built up, and I just got exposed. It's a fraud. I'm not the spiritual leader. I'm not this person of wisdom and integrity. My, my balloon is empty. It's popped. It's empty. I have nothing. And then who does Jesus pick to bring back as a head apostle to lead his church? Peter. Because he had a dose of what he needed. Humility. And he knew, right, he depended on mercy. So don't despise, don't despise it when God exposes you. Don't despise it when God exposes you. Just let, just let him expose you. Don't keep fighting with another law and another rule. Well, I'm better than them, and here's my excuse, and that's why I couldn't obey you at the time, because did you see what that person did, and what about my past, and I've got all these reasons, and there's a reason I'm still good, there's a reason you still owe me. No, come on. What do you bring? Nothing. I'm guilty. I'm caught red-handed. Sweet. Now you're ready. Come on. Come on in. You got some humility. Second, kill hypocrisy by giving grace. 
verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's not normative in that culture or in ours to give commands to people, invite you over for lunch while you're eating at their house. <laughs> Jesus does. <laughs> he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Let's just pause for a moment. Am I saying you can no longer have your family or friends over for lunch? Okay, can you imagine? You're writing your email. Hey, guys, I just became a Christian. I want to follow the Lord, and I will never see you again. Sincerely, right? Uh, come to church. You may catch a glimpse, but you're not coming over. Some of you are like, dang, I wanted to use it. I finally, I'm just kidding. Or even if you took it literally, you only had people who weren't your friends over, but you could only have them over as many times as they still weren't your friends, because once they became your friends, oh, no, I'm sorry, we're now friends. Goodbye, I can't have you over. Okay? People who take it like that don't know how to interpret the Bible. Jesus is a Jewish teacher. To make points, we overstate the issue. But he's talking, remember what I told you about in the background? He's talking about reciprocity. Gaining status by only having people over who can do something for you. Serving others so that you can be served. A selfish motive in everything you're doing. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy, and to, to undo it, you need to show the grace that you need in your relationships with others. Who are you supposed to have over? 13, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Have over the people who can't offer you a thing. Jesus just undid hierarchy and reciprocity. Should you only have people over who keep your status way up high? No, drop deep. Because your status isn't in that religious performance anymore. It's in God's mercy and his love for you. You have the status you need. Go deep. Love and serve people you can't pay back. So should you have the lame, the blind, the crippled over at your house? Sure. Should you have all sorts of people over to your house? Yes. To get something from them? No. To give something to them. To show love, give grace. He kills hierarchy. He kills reciprocity. Don't invite people over who can pay you, out, pay you back another favor. Invite people over who can never pay you back. Love, oh, do you want me to say this? Love people who can't pay you back. Love people who haven't loved you the way you deserve. When you humble yourself, you learn to give the grace that you need. You'll be repaid. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God will actually pay you back. Do you ever see that uh, game show, You Might Be a Redneck? I don't really recommend it. But, um, you know, you might be a redneck if whatever. I looked at like four of them thinking, hey, it'd be funny to give one. And I was just like, no, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to do that. I just want to play, you might be a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if your gauge for how you love others is based on how they've been loving you. You might be a Pharisee 
if you love others based on what they can offer you and your sense of satisfaction and identity and meaning and purpose and joy, you might be a Pharisee. You're playing reciprocity. And you're being a, somebody tell me, a hypocrite. Why? Because you can't live up to that standard. You can't live up to that standard. The standard you're applying to them, you would never deserve love from any other human, much less from God himself. Our hypocrisy gets exposed right here, doesn't it? We all just need a, I need a big table right now. Just dump it all out, caught red-handed. I've got Phariseeism in my heart. And so I got to go back to step one and find humility again. All I can rely on is the mercy of the host. And then when I get his mercy, I can then show it in my relationships. Give the mercy you need. Finally, let's look at the invitation. So I think um, we all love awkward moments. Anybody ever seen The Office before, right? That's why we like The Office, a couple of you, okay? And we like Jim because the camera goes on his face and we get to share the awkward moment with him because he looks at us and goes, right? Because that's what we wanted to do when it happened, okay? I think this is an awkward moment just like that because Jesus went to this guy's house. They tried to set him up and he just healed the guy. And they asked them questions they could not and would not answer, Awkward silence. And these guys are, are deathly serious, right? They're going to want to kill Jesus. They're deathly serious. And then he says, well, let me give you advice about how to host parties at your house. Okay? And as he does it, he tells them a parable that says, if you don't change, you're not coming to my kingdom. Can you imagine the awkward silence? And then you got brother in the corner who pops out with, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this is one of those guys who, like, he took the class on how to do religious prayers, you know? Because he's, he's trying to break up the silence. Well, he's catching on to some of what Jesus is saying, but he's not receiving it. He's not getting wrecked by it. He's just going to pop off like a, well, you know, what religious words can I throw out there to make everything okay? Blessed is everyone who, who leads the kingdom of God. And you know it's going to be problems. Because what's the first word in verse 16? The first word in verse 16. But Jesus is going to tell a story. Are you ready? Here we go. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Walk through it with me. What do you know about this man then if he's giving a huge banquet in the ancient world and he's inviting everyone? He's rich. It's going to be a great banquet. The word just means gala, five stars, the best that we can get. That's what's in this banquet. And who's invited? Nearly everybody, okay? Many. They're all invited. So based on hierarchy, like, do you want to go? Oh, let's go. Let's get to this party. And in the ancient world, you know, they don't have Netflix. Uh, they're living from day to day farming. This, this is like, this is a high point of the year to go to a great feast like this. This is the best. And so everybody wants to go. And you see, he gave a great banquet, invited many. And then there's two invitations, and this totally fits with the ancient world. Why do you think you have to do two invitations? Well, it's kind of like what we do for weddings. Okay, number one, it's going to take us a long time and a lot of work to get this party ready. Can I get an amen from some of you who are in that right now, right? Yep. In the ancient world, it was worse because you don't have refrigeration. 
You don't have packaged food. You got to cut up animals. You got to harvest the stuff. You got to get it all ready. So it's going to take so much time to get it ready. We don't even know how much time it's going to take. We'll let you know when we're ready. But the first invitation is, hey, I'm going to do this party. You want to come? Everybody writes back and says, yes, of course, we're coming. And then we'll give you the second invitation. The second invitation would be like, it's tomorrow or it's next Tuesday. It's, com- it's here. First, it's coming. Second, it's here. So as he told this story, they'd all be grabbing on. Yeah, we, sweet. We got that. Ooh, that's exciting. But look what happens when they give the second invitation. Hey, it's time. Look what happens. They all like begin to make what? Excuses. Yeah, I'll be there. And then after all his generous invitation to invite them, all the work he's done to prepare the party, what do they say? I can't go. And what do you think about their excuses? I bought a field and I have to go see it. Wait, you bought it without looking at it? And is it going to move or something? Can you see it after the party? It's lame. Okay, next one. I bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go examine them. You didn't examine them before you bought them? You got to examine them now? You can't wait till after the party? It's lame. Here's the one that might be closest to reality, right? I married a wife. She said, no, I can't go. Okay. No, but of course, he's, re- he's probably referring to that text in Deuteronomy where if there's, you, you don't have to serve in the military your first year of marriage, so you can work on your marriage. But it's a misuse, obviously, of that. Hey, I, your wife would probably enjoy the feast, right? Bring her. The point is, they're all lame excuses. And here's the great irony and the shock of the story. It would almost seem like a joke. It can't be real. The greatest event to ever occur in the neighborhood that everybody wants to go to, nobody wants to go. For what reason? For no good reason. It's shocking. It would have been shocking in the room. So what's the servant say to the master, 21? He comes and reports these things. And the master of the house became angry. And in that social context, everybody would understand why he's angry. You understand why he's angry, don't you? You invite everybody over, you got everything ready, you worked really hard, and then when it's time, he said, hey, it's time, he said, oh, I can't come, I have to clean out my purse. What? He's angry. But then he does, then it just goes crazy for that context. Go to the streets, go to the lanes, bring in the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. Go to the highways, go to the hedges, go everywhere. Here you see a weird host. He doesn't care about hierarchy. Who's he bringing to his, who's he bringing to his party? The absolute zeros, the nobody. Number two, he has to compel them to come in. Why? Because they're so low, they say, we can't come to your invitation because we can never pay you back. I could never pay you back. I can't offer reciprocity. I've got nothing to offer. And Jesus says to his sermons, drag them in. If they think they can't come because they don't have anything to offer, drag them in. I don't care about reciprocity. I don't need them to pay me back. I'm just going to give to them. Blowing it up. Then Jesus drops a bomb. Because... At first, it's just a parable out there that we're listening to. Oh, this is interesting. And verse 24, look what he says. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste what? Do you see it? My banquet. I'm talking about my banquet. He's just making huge claims. Number one, I'm God. Number two, I'm talking about heaven and who gets in. Pay attention. 
that you could plug it in. Who's the master of the feast? The Lord Jesus. Who was invited first invitation? Israel. The prophets. The kingdom is coming. And what is the invitation that says it's now? Jesus right there. And when they read the prophets, they said, oh, we'll be there. And when they saw Jesus sitting right there, what'd they say? I can't come. And Jesus says, well, you won't be there. You won't be there. Who gets to come? The nobodies. The losers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And, and in the end, the people out on the streets and far away, that's the Gentiles. They never heard the prophets. But when Jesus came and his apostles shared the message of the gospel, they came. They came. And they came. Do you see his point? Self-righteous hypocrites who cling to their hypocrisy, talk religion. In the end, they don't even want to be at the feast because they don't want to be with the master of the feast and they don't have to go. The people who go to hell are the ones who didn't want to be in heaven. How can I say that? Because heaven is all about being with God. Anybody who wants to be there can come if you humble yourself. If you humble yourself. Ah, so what do we do with this? Let's finish it up. I said we should look at the invitation. Jesus is going to go. He's on, where's, where's he on his way to, this whole passage? He's on his way to Jerusalem. And what's he going to do there? He's going to die on a cross. And you think of status and reciprocity. What did Jesus do with his status? Can you get higher than eternal son of God praised by the angels forever? And what did he do with that status? He dropped into being a nobody. Uh, Philippians says he's humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. It's the lowest possible place you could ever go in any culture, in any place, in any time. He gave up his status and he gave it up for people who can never reciprocate can you, pay, can you pay God back for all the sins you've committed? Can you, can you pay it back? Can you pay him back for his love for you and his goodness to you and his kindness to you? You think I can't, you know, if you've ever been the person who think I can't come to Jesus, I've messed it up too much. God doesn't need your reciprocity. He doesn't need you to pay it back. In fact, your, your knowledge that you can't ever pay it back, that makes you suitable. Come on, come on in. And he gives a free gift of salvation, died for our sins, rose from the dead. So get caught red-handed before the cross. Let's end with this. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. When you look at the cross, what happens to your hypocrisy? How good are you at the foot of the cross? Okay, you've never been more insulted than you have by the cross. How so? You're so bad, you're so bad that Jesus didn't just get grounded for you or he didn't like go to jail for a couple years for you. What had to happen to save your sorry sinful self? God had to die on a cross. Just lay down, right? That's me, I deserve that right there. But he doesn't leave you there. Not only did God have to die on a cross to save you, he was willing to. How loved are you? How loved are you? If you'll trust him and, and his cross is yours, you're so loved. 
You're so loved. He's brought you in as his child. You're welcome to the feast. And it's there where we get changed. Doesn't the cross humble you like you need? And here's how you know if you really get it. You'll start to offer mercy and grace who don't deserve it. That's how you know you get it. Remember, Jesus went to the feast with the tax collectors, and the Pharisees couldn't get it because they didn't get it. They thought they were good. They could never eat with people like that. Jesus says, I'll eat with people like that because he's gracious and merciful. And when you're his, you'll eat with people like that. And it's not just about eating. Do you need to show grace to those who don't deserve it in your marriages, at your church, with your coworkers, with the people from your past, with your friends? Where do we not need this? And it, sh it shows that we have tasted his mercy when we'll give it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great word. We thank you for Jesus' wisdom. Lord, we lay down our hypocrisy before you. We all have it. I have it. Forgive me, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We can come before you with nothing and receive everything. We can come before you as sinners and be forgiven. We can come before you as low and get the highest identity possible. Children of God, Lord, show us what it means. Let us taste your mercy and then let us give that mercy to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.